Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Now, I was driving along uh, Brisbane Road recently, just driving past the Gabba, which apparently is a really great place to go at the moment because the Lions are winning. Uh, but I was driving past it and there was this sign for UQ Business School. And it said this, question everything except yourself. Question everything except yourself. Which is a statement basically is just like doubt everything except yourself. Just doubt everything. And I thought that was such an accurate uh, statement about the culture that we live in at the moment. Now, if you didn't know me and Mani hadn't just given you the news uh, about what happened to me recently, if I was to stand up here before you and say, hey, I'm Ben, I'm a youth pastor at a church in Brisbane. And in the last three months, I've been able to meet and be in the presence of two of the most influential Christian leaders in the Western world you would probably say, no, you haven't. Jason isn't quite that influential, Ben. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, not Jason, but Andy Stanley, who leads a, a church in, in America, in Atlanta, and Craig Rochelle, who leads a church in Oklahoma City. And you would be like, no, there's no chance that that happened. But see, that's a photo of me sitting in the front row after I've just given Andy Stanley a pep talk because he was nervous about preaching in front of me. <laughs> So I was sitting in the front row, my wife was sitting next to me, then my best friend Jace, and then there's Andy and his wife just at the end of the row. They were just hanging out together. It was one of the most surreal experiences of my life until, as Maney said, just a week ago, I had the incredible opportunity to chest bump Craig Rochelle, again, giving him some encouragement for all the incredible work that he's doing. But seriously, he almost broke my ribs. He's an absolute unit. So Craig Rochelle is not just a great preacher. He's apparently a really great athlete. He was lean and strong and yeah, it was terrifying. But these things happen. Now, the reason that you would probably hear these stories and go, I don't know if that's true, is because of this statement. Question everything except yourself. Because actually what you would do is you would go, is Ben really honest? Is Ben really telling the truth? Is this something that could really happen? You'd look at all the information. Okay, so these are pastors in America. Ben lives in Brisbane. These guys lead churches of like 30,000 plus. Ben leads a youth ministry of like 150. Would they be rolling in the same circles? Would they be even having those conversations with someone like Ben? And you'd be like, probably not. And then you wouldn't doubt your own ability to come to those conclusions. You would doubt my ability to tell the truth. You'd doubt my ability to have those things happen. But you wouldn't doubt your own perspective and your own ability because that is the climate that we live in. Question everything except yourself. See, we live in a culture of doubt. Now, I don't know about you, but there's plenty of things that we should be doubting. Have you ever seen those like health articles that are like, you know, you should drink four to five coffees a day and you'll reduce your, you know, chance of having kidney disease. And you're like, really, four or five? Did you see the one recently? There was like 28 cups of coffee a week is the perfect amount of coffee to have. 28 cups, like ridiculous. I don't know if you know this, but I read that article and you get to the bottom of it and it says this, it says, all of these studies were observational in nature. They cannot prove that coffee caused the reduction in the disease. (laughs) 
Well, I doubt if that's really true then, hey. Like, you know, like they're just like, oh, we just saw a few people drink a lot of coffee and they seem to be relatively healthy, so you should drink a lot of coffee too. <laughs> and aren't we all doubtful of light food? Like anything that has to have light, in quotation marks with an asterisk next to it, really the question is how good can that thing really be for you? And what have they had to put in to recover from all of the things that they've had to take out? We should be doubtful about all of those things. And young adults, I don't know, um, maybe this is just for me, but I'm at that age where I'm seeing some of my uh, peers buy homes and they're younger than me. And I go, there's no way they did that by themselves. I can't do it by myself. There's no way they did it by themselves. You know, like this doubt, it's like, if I can't do it, they can't do it. But notice again, it's one of these things where it's like, if my experience says it hasn't quite been possible for me yet, then that means surely it's not possible for them too. So we doubt things, we question things, except our own understanding. And I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase before, picks or it didn't happen. You know, like that's basically this idea where we go, if you didn't take a photo of it, if you can't video it, if you don't have the clear evidence for it, then I doubt that it really happened. This is the world that we live in. And so doubt is one of these things that we have to deal with. And I think for a couple of different reasons. Well, one, firstly, as humans, we don't like having to understand new concepts that change our understanding of reality and cause us to have to live a new way. Something that's gonna really challenge us or, uh, or um, push us to do something different with how we live our lives, which means doubt actually becomes our best defence against having to be accountable to a new piece of knowledge and therefore a new way of living. If you can doubt that that's true, then you don't have to be accountable to the ramifications of it. See, this attitude and culture though, lives and breathes and impacts our faith. Before uh, the Renaissance period, we genuinely lived in a climate of faith a culture of faith. You know, we can look back on that period of time and see that a lot of people just held true to what were considered staple beliefs. Things like the earth is the centre of the universe. No question about that for a long time. You know, people thinking that the earth is flat, although apparently that's trendy to kind of think that that's cool and real these days. You know, like, yeah, the earth's flat. You know, all this sort of conspiracy theory stuff. But all of these things were considered true and there was just a general faith that they must be. But what happened was some people began to doubt and question and find out that maybe these things that we held to weren't necessarily true. And what happened was the culture shifted from a culture of faith because all of a sudden, doubt seemed to be the way to understanding that actually doubt was the doorway to understanding the world that we lived in, to understanding what was really true. And what we've done is we've gone and we've turned that up to the absolute limit, to the point that we end up with this statement, question everything, question everything. And it impacts our faith. These days you'll have questions about all of these crazy little things, you know, questions about was the earth really made in seven days? Questions about, uh, you know, like why does the Bible really matter today when it was written 2,000 years ago? And even more, I'm sure if I had a whiteboard up here and I gave us the opportunity, we could fill that thing up really, really quickly with all our questions and all our doubts because we're meant to question everything. And some of you may be here this morning and you're actually thinking, 
I'm, I question whether I even believe in Jesus. I question whether I even have a faith. In fact, I'm here because I'm questioning all of these things. In fact, I've been doubting my doubts. You feel like everything that you think, everything that you felt you believed is coming under question. And you find yourself here this morning going, maybe this is the answer, but I really don't know because I doubt that this has anything for me this morning. And maybe some of you are here and you're actually like, I've been here for years and years. Maybe you've been here at Ormo from the beginning. You've been, get, been with Gateway for ages. You've been a Christian for most of your life, but you have some nagging doubts. You have these big questions that are sitting in your heart and in your mind, and you're wondering how you can tackle them. They seem to have been here for a long time and they seem to get heavier and heavier to the point where you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed by the doubts and the questions that you have. Well, this morning, we're gonna look at how do we navigate doubt in a world that seems to fuel it? How are we going to deal with our doubts in a way that we can actually have them but move forward and maybe, just maybe, find a little bit more faith because of them? And to do that, we're gonna jump into the most famous doubter ever. We're gonna hear a little bit about their story and it's the story of Thomas, not Thomas Hardy, Thomas from the Bible, uh, John chapter 20, verses 24 to 29 to see what we can learn. So if you've got your Bibles with you, love for you to open them up because uh, we're gonna jump into this passage and see what it has to say to us uh, today. So Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the 12 and was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now, just to stop there, what's happened is in the previous uh, passages, Jesus has died and uh, He's risen again and He's revealed Himself to the disciples. They were meeting at one place, the tomb was empty, they were talking about it and Jesus just appeared. And they were all like, what the heck's happening? All this crazy stuff happening. Jesus said, it's all right, I'm alive, everything's okay. But the disciples saw this and Thomas was not with them when He came. Thomas was one of the disciples, but he wasn't there the first time that Jesus appeared. So when the other disciples saw Thomas, guess what they said? We've seen the Lord. And guess what Thomas said to them? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And understandably so, if all they said to him was we've seen the Lord, it's hardly a compelling case. But then he says this, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. But this time, Thomas was with them. Now the doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, Thomas is a man slightly before his time because Thomas is a man who's questioning everything. Thomas is a man who really, he liked to operate based out of certainty. See, earlier in the Gospel of John, there's this little passage in John chapter 14 where Jesus is telling the disciples that he's going to die soon, but don't worry, I'm going to a place to prepare a place for you. Now, Thomas being the literal, you know, focused thinker that he is, responds with this. We don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? See, Thomas is a real common sense, no nonsense kind of guy. He's basically like, Jesus, give us directions to heaven or we may get lost on the way. You know, like give me some really clear guidelines about where we're gonna go. That is the kind of guy that Thomas was. Real common sense, no nonsense guy. 
And so for him, he's just heard that the disciples have seen Jesus be raised from the dead. And here's a couple of things that Thomas does as he's trying to navigate through his doubt about what these disciples are saying about Jesus. And the first thing he does is Thomas actually shares his doubts. He shares them. He verbalises the fact that he does not necessarily believe with what they have to say. Now, while it seems like he's been a little bit ridiculous about the whole experience, he does say, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And it's easy for us to judge him quite harshly because we're on the other side of history where it's like, Thomas, come on, Jesus was alive. You should have known it. You look like an idiot. Why didn't you just believe the fact that there was like 10 to 15 people who'd seen Jesus? Like, that's actually a pretty compelling case, Thomas. Like, they're not all gonna be insane all at the same time. But how would you have actually reacted? See, Thomas was following Jesus around everywhere. He was hoping that he would be the Messiah and Thomas has made some serious sacrifices. Thomas spent three years where he'd sacrificed family, where he'd sacrificed career, to follow this man around only for him to die. His hopes crushed, his sacrifices seemingly wasted, and then he goes to see some of these other people who he imagines are gonna feel the same way as he does, ripped off, disappointed, confused. Now imagine you're walking into that room feeling exactly what Thomas is feeling. And the first thing that these people say to you is, the guy that you thought was dead is alive. And you'd watched him die on that cross. And they're like, he's alive, he's alive. Like we saw the nail marks in his hands. We saw the spear in his side. He walked through walls, you know, the doors were locked and he still came in. What are you actually going to think about what was said? How many of you have ever seen someone be risen from the dead? Not many, if any. How open are you gonna be to this new option, to this new potential reality? Not very open at all. In fact, what Thomas says, I think is kind of like at least a little bit open. I probably would have walked out of the room and said, you guys are all literally insane. I'm gonna call the psych ward and they're gonna come and collect you all up so you can get the help that you need. But Thomas, he actually just says, I wanna see what you said that you've seen. That's really what he's saying. Because they would have said these things. This is what we saw. This is how we know it was Jesus. And Thomas is saying, I wanna see that too. I have my doubts, but I wanna see that too. And the reason this is so important is that it means everyone in the room actually knows where Thomas stands. Because for many of us, when we doubt what someone else says, often what we do is we do something really polite. See, I have some friends and, and we, well, it's, uh, that's news for some of you, but I have some friends and we go to the gym and uh, for some of them, they're you know, a little bit stronger than me and for some of them, they're definitely not stronger than me. No judgment, they're just weak, you know, like that's accurate, <laughs> it's the truth. Uh, and we can know these people but if one of them came to me and said, Ben, guess what? I just set a new record on my bench press. And if their record was heavier than mine, I would noddingly just be like, oh, that's fantastic. And then walk away and tell my wife, they didn't set a new record. No chance, no chance at all, no way. I'm going to keep my doubts hidden from them, but I'm definitely gonna verbalise them with someone else. But what happens there is we actually don't give the other person an opportunity to prove themselves. 
And in fact, what we do is often we double down on our doubt. See, Thomas, he could have said, okay, guys, that's really cool, and then decided to never see them again. Go back to his old way of living, go back to his old friends, to his old family, to his old career. And as he goes about his life and people go, hey, Thomas, what happened those three years? What happened to that group of guys that you were sort of following around? He would tell them the story. Yeah, Jesus was the guy we were following. He died, but then all of them started losing their mind. They all said that he was alive. And so I thought, nah, they're too crazy. And I got out of there. And what would be the response that he would get from these other people? Yeah, man, that sounds like they lost their mind. That sounds like you did a good thing getting out of there. His doubts would have been confirmed because other people would have doubted with him. And because he wouldn't have verbalised those doubts to other people who actually were on the same journey as him, he actually would have just doubled down on his doubts. They would have consolidated. They would have, in fact, become just more firm and more reasonable and more rational until it got to the point that his doubts were the most reasonable and rational thing that he could understand. Because everyone he seemed to talk to felt the exact same way. And too often for us, we are people who don't share our doubts too. See, we'll come into church and we'll be sitting here in this room and we'll be standing there in worship, potentially having questions about our faith, questions about God and how we relate to Him. And we look around and we see people with their hands in the air, their eyes closed, really just worshipping God. And we go, there's no way I can share my doubts here because I'm worried that these people are not necessarily going to accept me. But what we need to learn from Thomas is that we need to take a leaf out of his book and actually share our doubts. Because Thomas did it, everyone in the room, all of the other disciples knew where Thomas was at. They knew that Thomas needed support. They knew that Thomas needed care. They knew they needed to encourage and help Thomas because they knew where he was at. And when we don't give other people the opportunity to do that, we miss out on the importance and the benefit of being in this together. See, if you don't tell anyone, how do you think you're gonna get your problems and your doubts resolved? How do you think people are gonna be able to point you to wise counsel, to great resources, to even just pray and support you if they don't know that you're struggling with some doubts? See, the first thing that you need to do and that Thomas does is share your doubts. Share your doubts with each other because actually we all have them, we all carry them and we can all support each other through them. The second thing that Thomas does is this, and this is something that's really, really simple, but actually quite hard to do when we really are struggling with doubt. See, Thomas does this, while he's doubtful, he stays faithful. While he's doubtful, he stays faithful. And I'm not talking about some funny play on the words where faithful is spelt with a double L, and it's like, he was full of doubts, but he also was full of faith. I'm talking about the fact that Thomas was feeling doubtful about what happened, but he stayed faithful to the community that he was a part of. And it's really important for us to understand that because we will struggle with doubts, but doubt always tempts us to disengage. Doubt always causes us to disengage because if we think that maybe we're the only people carrying these doubts or we think we're the only people who know what's going on or, or the only people who really understand what's happening, we will often choose to disengage from the people around us. And see, Thomas, it says in verse 26, a week later, Thomas was still with the disciples. And again, if you just think about the mindset and the, and the frame of mind that all of these disciples would have been in except Thomas, I actually think a week is a really long time for him to have stayed with them. Because can you imagine every single mealtime what they would have talked about? 
Can you imagine every single conversation when they gathered together, what they would have been discussing? Oh man, how crazy was it that Jesus appeared to us that time? Do you reckon he'll do it again? I mean, what, what do you think it was? Like, maybe he's still here. Like, maybe we'll see him again. Like, can you believe that we saw, like, I put my fingers right through his hands. Like, how crazy was that? Like, people would have been saying and talking about this thing the whole entire week. And it would have been easy for Thomas to feel just completely under, like, just feeling like validated in the fact that these people are crazy. That why am I even here? And even probably asking himself questions of, why didn't Jesus show himself to me? I wasn't there. Why didn't he come and find me by myself? Maybe Jesus intentionally left me out. If this really did happen, maybe he doesn't want me to know about it, to be involved in it. And the doubts could have easily caused Thomas to go, maybe I'm just not meant to be a part of this. Maybe this isn't for me and to disengage. But instead, Thomas stays faithful. Thomas stays faithful. And for us, that's really important to understand. See, when I was 19 years old, I was at my classic, like, pastor's kid, punk, cynical stage. You should hopefully have a photo of what I looked like at (laughs) 19 years old. I mean, what else could you expect from someone that looked like that, hey? (laughs) Like, doubtful, punk, a massive cynic. And I finished high school and I'd been doing church for my whole entire life, obviously, as a pastor's kid. I'd been to church more in those 18 years than many will go in their entire life. You know, thanks, mum and dad, for that. Like every Sunday, three services, always there, just doing church. And I got to the end of it and was a bit over it, had some stuff happen in my life. But for some crazy reason, I finished high school and I decided to go to Bible college. No idea why, probably just the fact my best friend was gonna do that course and I thought, why not? And I got to move to Melbourne, which is way cooler than Ballarat, which is, (laughs) seriously, all of you guys probably go, oh, Ballarat, that's the gold town, yeah? Yeah, that's the gold town. We have a 1850s theme park, no roller coasters, just 1850s 10-pin bowling, so (laughs) wild. Anyway, I'm leaving there and I was still pretty cynical and and, uh, pretty over it. I was one of those guys, I really listened to heavy metal music. I would wear shirts from my favourite Christian death metal band called Impending Doom and they were really aggressive and intense and had all these piercings and got tattoos and all this sort of stuff during that year. I was basically doing the whole doubting everything. Why can't I get a tattoo? I know it says it in the Bible, but why? And then I went and got one, you know, like I would do all of that. And I remember going through the first six months just challenging everything. Uh, our Bible college course taught us that, you know, Nestle and Coke weren't very ethical brands. And so when we had to provide lunch for everyone, me and my friend Jace bought everyone a can of Coke and a Kit Kat. <laughs> and uh, for one of my assignments, uh, you know, we had to creatively engage with the assignment. I did a dance, even though I've never done a dance lesson in my entire life. You know, like that was that cynical edge where I was just like, all of this stuff seems ridiculous, so I'm gonna be as equally ridiculous as all of you. And I remember talking with one of my uh, friends who was in the course, uh, uh, Luke, and we were kind of at this same stage together, really wrestling with what we were learning, what we were talking about, and whether it really applied to us at all. And I remember he said to me, he said, Ben, I'm really thinking about just giving up at the end of the semester and just going and working full-time, make some coin. And I was like, yeah that actually sounds like a really good idea. And I felt this relief kind of wash over me because I'd gotten through the first half of the year and I was really starting to get over it. And I really thought, I don't think this is for me. I've got too many questions that aren't seeming to get answered and I really don't know if this is something I want to stick at. Like, I was so desperate to not be there that one day I stayed home the whole day to watch season three of One Tree Hill in one sitting. 
You know, like that's how much I did not want to be there. And uh, I felt like that was kind of for me. I was like, yeah, maybe if Luke bails, I'll bail too because I won't feel like I was the dropout failure uh, that I already looked like. Um, But we, for some reason, didn't do it. We stayed at it. And I remember going to mid-year Bible college camp. Now, that is probably the most Christian place you can ever go. Like, all Bible college students away on a camp. Now, I got peak cynical when, uh, for one moment, I just still don't know why we were doing it, but it was apparently to connect with God. We stood in the mud in a cold Victorian winter. So get that, cold Victorian winter, without any socks or shoes on, my feet are in the mud, and I'm eating an orange, because apparently it's trying to help us connect with God. (laughs) Didn't work for me. All I got was half an orange and really wet feet. But we got to the last night of camp after that experience. And I remember talking to this girl, Kate. And Kate and I had been on a lot of those like Christian youth camps, you know, like SU camps, but in Victoria they're called ESA camps. We've been on heaps of these different camps. And you know what it's like. Anyone who's been on a camp, I don't know if this happened at man camp, but probably, you know, last night of camp, everyone cries. Now, Friday night was the first and the last night, so I don't know if it all happened all at once, but like the last night of camp, everyone cries. And I remember standing there next to the wall, waiting to go in, looking like cool with my long hair and stuff. And I remember looking at Kate and I said, you ready for everyone to cry? Just classic cynic, you know, like, yeah, ready for everyone to cry. And she's like, better be careful, could be you. I said, nah, won't be me, I don't cry. Not externally anyway, just internally. You know, like, I don't cry. It's not going to be me. I remember I walked in there and uh, we did the whole classic thing. There was a worship set. I stood there at the back with my arms folded and my brows furrowed. What do these words even mean? You know, Hosanna. I don't even know what that means. Why am I saying it? You know, like classic, just cynic and doubting. The woman gets up there and she's doing the message. And I was like, this is all ridiculous. Just dumb. Can't even remember any of what she said. Anyway, it gets to the end. She's doing the classic response. And there I am at the back watching as people are teeming forward, crying as I predicted. Just, oh, I just want to get right with Jesus. You know, you're at Bible college. You're already getting right with Jesus. You know, like, what are you talking about? Wow, I just want to get right with Jesus. Just want to get right with Jesus. I remember standing there. I was like, whatever. So they were all getting prayed for. Everyone's crying. You can hear the crying. And I'm standing at the back again, just arms crossed, just waiting for it to be over. And this guy comes up to me and he says, hey, man, can I pray for you? Like, what do you do at a Bible college mid-year camp with all of these Christian people? You say, yes, pray for me, sure. And it was in that moment that literally everything changed. Like he started praying for me. I was a Church of Christ kid growing up. He was a Church of Christ guy praying for me. And all of a sudden he's praying for me and I just like fell over. I couldn't stand up anymore. Just fell over and just bawled my eyes out for like 10 minutes. There I was, self-fulfilling prophecy, bawling my (laughs) eyes out for like 10 minutes. But then I sat up and I just started laughing. Like I was just filled with this insane joy. Like I couldn't explain it. I laughed for 15 minutes uncontrollably. And there was nothing funny happening in that room except the fact that everyone was crying. That was funny. And then I'm just like laughing, laughing, laughing. And of course, I was getting shushed. Everyone was like, what is this dude doing? Like everyone already knew that I was a little bit of a punk, a little bit of a jerk. They're thinking, there he is at the back, just laughing at people crying. But I couldn't stop it. I had no control over what was happening. And I remember I walked out of that room a different person. Literally, people like, Ben, your eyes look different. What happened in there? I said, I had a great time. It was really good. I cried and I laughed and it was amazing. But I walked out of there a different person. But the principle of this story and the principle that we see in Thomas' story is that actually it's really important to stay faithful even when we're doubtful. Because 
for Thomas, if he had given up after he heard that those disciples had had that incredible experience, he wouldn't have been there for the second time. And if I'd given up halfway through Bible college, I wouldn't have been there for the camp. And the truth is so often doubt will tempt us to disengage, but we have to stay faithful. Because I was reading this incredible quote on, on my, on my uh, work in, into this, and it says this, it says, we're more likely to find Jesus in the company of the faithful than in a lonely vigil. And that's why faithfulness is so important for us. That if we're struggling with doubts, if we're dealing with issues, if we really have some big questions, the worst thing we can do is let our doubts cause us to disengage. Which is why it's so important for us to share our doubts because when our doubts get heavy and we've already shared them, we have people who know, we have people who care, we have people who support and we have people who can get around us. And that is why we need to do it because the incredible thing is that if we're willing to share our doubts, and stay faithful even when we're doubtful, we give Jesus the opportunity to transform our doubt into greater faith. See, Thomas has that experience. Thomas's faith, uh, Thomas's doubts gets transformed into greater faith. See, Jesus arrives in the room where Thomas is. And I hope you don't miss this. Jesus knows exactly what Thomas's doubts were and what his requirements were for it to be fulfilled. He literally walks in and says, peace to you all, just to calm them all down. Don't worry, it's me. I know I've walked through a wall again, but it's still me. And then he immediately addresses Thomas. He's like, Thomas, touch the holes in my hands. Put your hand in my side. Literally, Thomas has just said that to the other disciples and Jesus knew exactly what he needed. And because Thomas was faithful, he was there and able to receive what Jesus wanted to do. And look at Thomas's response. Thomas's response is, my Lord and my God, which is the first declaration of Jesus as God in the post-resurrection. Thomas, the greatest doubter, is the first to proclaim Jesus is God. What an incredible transformation of doubt into greater faith. And the most incredible thing is that Thomas's whole life is transformed. Thomas literally goes from the doubter to the proclaimer. Thomas is most commonly credited as the first person to take the Gospel into Asia and India. The man who at one point said, I will not believe unless I see the marks in his hands, the wound in his side, I will not believe all of a sudden he's giving his life, leaving his family, leaving his career to go to places he'd never been to tell people what he had seen. Thomas's doubt was transformed into greater faith. And the great news is that Jesus wants to do that exact same thing for us. See, Jesus wants to take your doubts and He wants to transform them into greater faith. He wants to transform them into greater faith. And the great thing is that we all have the exact same resources that Thomas had. So if you think about it, Thomas, yeah, he, he, got a, he got an experience of Jesus. But Thomas had eyewitness accounts of what had happened. And Thomas could have chosen to trust them and Jesus wouldn't have to have shown up and kind of been like, stop doubting, Thomas, start believing, you know, like, come on, you're better than that. But instead, he chose to doubt their eyewitness statements and choose to lean on his own understanding. But we have those exact same statements, those exact same eyewitnesses in our Bible. See, the New Testament is written by people who were either eyewitnesses themselves 
or who had access to eyewitnesses to record and write their story. That is the resource that we have. If we ever have questions about who Jesus is, about what Jesus has done, about who Jesus claimed to be, we can find the testimonies of eyewitnesses who can support us and encourage us through our doubts. But for us, what we have to do is we have to be willing to verbalise, to share our doubts with others and to stay faithful even when we're doubtful. Because if we do, Jesus is able to transform our doubts into greater faith. And that is something that each and every single one of us needs to hold on to. Because there's gonna be seasons, you might not be in it right now, where you are going to feel the burden and the weight of doubt. It's gonna be situations and circumstances gonna bring up some questions for you. But if you can remember that you shouldn't just keep these things to yourself, but share them with others and stay faithful in them, I promise you, Jesus will take your doubts and He will transform them into greater faith. Because Jesus is the master of transforming things. See, Jesus, when He went to the cross, He died on it and He transformed our sin and He paid for it so that we could have hope. And Jesus, when He rose from the dead, He actually took death and He transformed it from the punishment we deserved to the doorway to eternal life. Jesus takes these things that seem overwhelming, that seem heavy, that seem to be burdens that we ourselves can't resolve and He transforms them from death to life, from the penalty of sin to it being paid, from our doubts into greater faith. Jesus can do all of that. And you may have arrived today with your doubts Maybe you were unsettled about your faith and you had you know, some of the truths of it. You were wondering if all of that was really true. Well, let me tell you, you can know that Jesus can transform your doubts into greater faith. You can experience the transformation of your life if you're willing to verbalise your doubts, share them with others and stay faithful. And you'll find that you yourself will live with a newfound confidence because Jesus will come and transform your doubts into greater faith so that you can actually be used by God to go and share the good news with others and those who have doubts of their own. And the great thing is you can also be used to be someone who helps those who are struggling with their doubts. See, once you've uh, had some doubts and you've seen them changed and, and you've seen them transformed into to things that have given you greater faith, you are then able to see those who are struggling with their own doubts and say, you know what, I can support you. I can encourage you, I can get around you because your doubts aren't gonna shake my faith. And that's a gift that we get to give to each other. Because can you imagine if this church continued to grow into a place that was really okay with doubts and questions, a place that was really safe for people to just come and say, hey, I have some concerns, I have some thoughts, I just don't know, I can't wrap my head around this. And they could feel that they could say it without people thinking, what's wrong with them? I don't know if I want them around me, they're gonna shake me up a little bit. Because I don't know if you noticed, but the disciples, when they hear Thomas's doubts, they don't say, oh, okay, well, maybe you can go hang out with some other people who also don't believe us. Thomas is continually invited back, continually welcomed and a part of the community. Thomas is there a week later. And so we can have that if we are willing to be a church that is okay with other people's doubts, knowing that Jesus is in the work. Jesus is in the process of transforming it into greater faith. We can encourage each other to stay engaged so that when those who are waning and weak, they can be strengthened and encouraged by our own confidence. 
We can see that flow into our families, in our workplaces, our communities, our schools, our universities, as we have a greater and more confident faith because we've seen Jesus transform our doubts. We can actually welcome the questions and the concerns and the worries of others about what is it to be a Christian? How can you wrap your head around all of these things? We are safe and we are okay and we can actually be a witness in a community and a society that says, question everything. Because we've had our doubts transformed into greater faith. And so what I wanna do uh, as we finish up is I actually just wanna create an opportunity for some of us here. Because I'm aware that uh, if you, know, you were anything like me as a teenager, maybe you're carrying it now, but you might be carrying some doubts and some big questions that you haven't necessarily shared with anyone else because you're not sure it's safe to say it. And so what we wanna do is uh, in a moment is we just wanna give you the opportunity to just respond and come down the front to just say actually, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with some questions, I'm dealing with some doubts and I just need some support and some encouragement and some people to be in my corner as I wait for Jesus to transform this into greater faith. And the beautiful thing is that you're gonna come down the front and you're gonna have some questions and I can guarantee that what you think is a question that only you've had, that only you've asked is a question that many even in this room, have been asking, have hopefully even had answered and can be able to support and care for you through this. And what I want to encourage you to do is you're going to really feel that sense of potential shame and worry and is this for me? You know, what are people going to think? But we've seen that what Thomas does is two really simple things, but also two really hard things. He shares his doubts and he stays faithful while he's doubtful. And what we wanna do is we just wanna invite you to take step number one, to just share your doubts, knowing that it's gonna help you to stay faithful even when you feel doubtful. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna invite the band to just come up because we're not gonna make this a big scene for all of you to like, while we all sit here, stand up and come down the front because that would make it even more difficult than it needs to be. But actually what I wanna do is just during this next song, as we sing to finish, is that if that is you, if you've been carrying some doubts, if you've got some big questions that have been weighing you down and you haven't shared them with anyone else, I would love for you to just come down the front during this next song. Uh, Andrew will be here uh, and anyone else from the prayer team will just be down the front ready and able. And what I'd love, love for you to do is literally just say, hey, I'd love some prayer for my doubts. And I would love it if you feel comfortable to maybe even just share it for the first time. Just say, actually, here's my question. Here's the doubt that I'm carrying so that you can just get it out into the open and you can get the support you need to stay faithful while will you wait for Jesus to transform your doubts into greater faith. But let me pray before we sing. Heavenly Father, we just wanna thank You for the fact that You aren't afraid of our big questions, that even just days after You'd uh, just raised Jesus from the dead, one of the closest friends of Jesus, Thomas, had his own doubts. And Lord, we thank You that You didn't cast him away. You didn't say, well, this isn't for You anymore, Thomas. In fact, You welcomed them and You went to him and You helped him to have his doubts turned into greater faith. And Lord, I pray right now for us in this room. God, I pray for those who are struggling with doubt, who are struggling with big questions. Lord, I pray right now, if they haven't shared that with anyone else, if they haven't verbalised that, got that out into the open, Lord, I pray right now that You would give them the courage to just come to the front and say, that's me, and to take that first step to just share their doubts with someone else. And Lord, I pray that You would help us, help us to be people that when we are feeling doubtful, would just stay faithful, knowing 
knowing God that you always wanna transform our doubts into greater faith. That's always your goal. You don't wanna leave us burdened by them. You wanna help us move forward so that we can have greater faith in you, greater confidence in you and what you've done. And we just pray all of this in your name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.